my my real dad he came into the room and picked me up off my bunk bed and sat me down and said if if uh, you don't stop crying i'm going to change that court order that they have for those visits and you're never going to see your foster dad again welcome my friends to the storyteller where you'll find first nations people from across native north america who are following jesus christ without reservation today we'll hear from a young man from northwestern ontario who knows what it means to be rejected by those who should have loved him and how in his early years he rejected the one he should have loved Hi, my name is Ted Kedrick. I'm in Ojibwe from Kenora, Ontario. My my home reserve is White Dog. I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. My mother actually uh, left me at the hospital when I was as soon as I was born. I I was born 3 months premature and I was told I wouldn't live through the night. Uh well, I obviously made it and uh went through that and but uh I stayed at the hospital for 7 months until I was mature enough to survive on my own without the aid of machine or the machinery there and the hospital staff but I still wasn't with my biological family. I I should probably mention that uh I was diagnosed with uh cerebral palsy at the time that uh causes the hamstrings the tendons in the back of the thigh to be tighter and it results in poor balance. I was taken out to my reserve and uh bounced around from foster home to foster home until I was a year and a half old. I stayed with my biological family for 3 months, but due to complications I had to uh be taken from that and again placed in foster care. This time it was a uh, long term. I uh was taken to a foster family uh in Kenora, Ontario. Some people say like I've heard that foster families aren't the greatest or it hasn't been the greatest experience for some people but I can honestly say to for myself anyway that it's been an awesome experience because on top of having my biological family I have this secondary family that's just uh they've always been very supportive and just very understanding I was actually the middle child in the entire family um there was six of us in total and i was i think somewhere around the bottom end there but uh yeah they they just opened their home to me and treated me like one of their own they've taken they've always referred to me as their son and never you know my dad's always been very supportive in that um i was told i would never walk but uh the people i uh, was given to the my foster family didn't see that as an option and they took me to regular physiotherapy and helped me work at home and eventually it took longer than usual but I did learn how to walk they uh just very supportive and well some of the foster thing was uh made hard by the agency that we worked with they uh they didn't like the fact that my foster dad was a a non-native and that made life harder the only reason he was given me or given custody of me was because his wife was uh a native lady and they they figured that would be enough 
But uh, when he divorced, they uh, were always looking for ways to try and get me back into a, or back to my family or to another foster home. I'm not totally sure what, but because I was so young at the time, but uh, I can also, I can see now that they were always trying to uh, move me around. But uh, my dad was always very diligent in working hard to keep custody of me. It wasn't a Christian home at that point, but uh, we went to church and I learned about uh, about what God did for people. And I, I learned about this in my early years. And when I was five years old, my foster mom divorced my foster dad and it was just the two of us then. And uh, so again, my dad took me to church and I learned. But when I was eight years old, my biological parents decided they wanted me back again. And so there was a court battle over that. And I eventually ended up going to live with my biological parents. I remember the day I I heard what had happened. I had actually, in my mind, prior to this, I had pretty much decided that I knew I was going to be there because um, I was taken from my foster dad one night and put in a neutral foster home for about four days and then taken to my biological parents. But I had already known that in the court cases that I was supposed to be in a neutral home from during the duration. But even four days in, I was already taken to my biological parents. So I was preparing myself already for, you know, hearing that you're not going back to your foster dad. And after an eight, I think it was a eight month court battle, um, I heard that, yeah, you're not going back. And I guess, <laughs> I guess pre- preparation only goes so far because, uh, I cried for, cried for hours when I heard that because, you know, it's just, it was so different to go from the, the, all the support to the no support and like knowing that you're loved to just parents worrying if you're alive. So I remember crying for two hours at one point and my my real dad, he came into the room and picked me up off my bunk bed and sat me down and said, if, if uh, you don't stop crying, I'm going to change that court order that they have for those visits and you're never going to see your foster dad again. And it was, I think more than eight years before I ever cried again just because of what he said that day. So that was that was a really tough day for me. <laughs> um, it was a big contrast for me a lot to take in because they, uh, there was little support for me out on the reserve. Going from a home where they told you, you know, you can do anything and we'll help you to the best that we can in anything you want to do. But my biological family was more or less, we'll check on you every few hours, and if you're alive, good, and whatnot. I remember the first day I was out there, my mom had cooked a meal, and she called from the porch, and I I walked. I walked to the house, just normal, and everyone else ran. I decided, well, I figured, you know, it's going to be like, we're all going to get our fair share, but... It didn't quite turn out that way. I got there and there was very little left. And my mom said, if you're going to 
if you're going to eat, you got to be quicker than that. And so eventually I learned to run faster, get a head start. So there was that. And my biological father at that point was an off and on alcoholic. He would go on binges for a couple of weeks at a time every six months or so. So that made uh, life hard at times. There was uh, one time in, in grade three, the first day of grade three being out on the reserve, my dad asked me, do uh, you want to go to school? I said, yeah. He says, well, here's your choice. You can go today and I'll make you go every day or you can choose not to go today and I'll never make you go. You can go when you want to go. And I have chosen that and didn't regret that. But in this, there was also, being with my biological family, there was, through the court, they had arranged two-week visits on a bi-weekly basis on the weekends. So from Friday noon until Sunday at 7, I was with my foster family. And they took me to church during that time and... Again, I was learning about the gospel. I was starting to understand it, but out on the reserve, I, I had come to the conclusion that it was under my strength I had to survive. It had to be me. No one was going to help me because my parents wouldn't. And it was going to be me, and I could do it. So the more I lived out there, the more that got ingrained into my mind. And so there was that was one big thing, and it still is a big thing in my life today. So I would have to do things on my own. And the more I lived out there, the less hope I saw in life. I eventually came to the point, you know, I, I knew that I was a sinner and I knew I was going to hell. And I knew what the punishment for how my life was, unless I repented. But I didn't care. I, I said, I deserve this and I will take it as my own. Different times we'd be running around late at night and there was times we threw rocks through cruiser windows and um oh I was uh, when I was 15 I was a little I actually turned to stealing because I never got uh, money from my parents my little brother would ask for money and uh, he'd say mom can I get some money and mom would say sure and ten dollars right, right away I think it was uh, on average about ten dollars a day that he got and I would ask for money and say, Mom, can I get some money? I'd get a dollar fifty. Okay. And I'd ask for money maybe a week later and then I'd get a smack upside the head and told I was greedy. So I uh I quit asking and but they always made put me in charge of going <laughs> to look after my little brother, you know, walking him to the store and I had to watch him buy all these things. And just it just forever just eating away at me you know it's not fair <laughs> but uh he kept getting this and i didn't get anything eventually one day i went with my cousins and my cousin bent down and picked up a chocolate bar and the clerk didn't see it so he came out with with something and even though he didn't go in with any money so i figured you know i'm not getting anything that he's getting enough business, I can justify this. It's a chocolate bar, what's he going to miss? So I'd go and, as I would pay for stuff, I would drop my, or drop my money on the floor. And I'd bend down to pick it up, but as I'd pick it up, I'd, I'd put it up my pant leg and 
the clerk was none the wiser and no one no one else was so i'd start taking things every time i went there so i never had money but i always had some treats to eat and eventually we got coordinated me and my cousins and i think we were taking about about $40 worth of junk food at a time we do it about once or, or twice a month and we just justify it you know we don't get anything we got to take something right and over that course of time I've I think we over 10 months before I got caught I took about $800 worth of stuff it's interesting how we can justify the wrong choices that we make even when they cause other people harm Thankfully Ted's story doesn't end here. But what about you? Are you making choices that you know are wrong and justifying yourself? Maybe you think there's no harm done, but it doesn't matter whether they injure others or not. They are offending your creator, and one day you will give an account to him, and justice, his justice will be served. God tells us in his word, it is appointed to men once to die. But after this, the judgment. You can be forgiven though if you'll turn to God and place your trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. Want to know more? You can write to us at The Storyteller, PO Box 1001, Bemidji, Minnesota 56619. That's PO Box 1001, Bemidji, Minnesota 56619. Our phone number is 877-766-4648. That's 877-766-4648. We're also online at withoutreservation.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, the greatest story took place at the cross. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's more to Ted's story, so be sure to join us again next time as we listen to The Storyteller.